We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 322. Scott, I have a little proposition for you. Since the Yankees are still playing like crap, I say we focus on Game of Thrones, which I've never seen anyway, and Tiger Woods this episode. Yeah, it's a good idea. Game of Thrones is plenty to talk about, absolutely, especially if you've never seen it. You could go through the, the entire yeah, lineage of all Can you give me like families. a quick 30-second rundown on the entire eight seasons so I can start watching? Because I yeah. feel left out. Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of different households, there's dragons, and now they're all fighting each other trying to get um, away from the dead people who are coming to take over the world. Boom, I'm ready, I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, and then Tiger Woods, I mean, come on, how do you not get excited about that? I don't care if you're a golf, if you're a golf fan, if you're, if you're not a sports fan, like, there are just so many things when you see what this, like, yes, there were, the demise was a lot of his own, <laughs> like, a lot of that was, was all Tiger Woods, probably all of that was all Tiger Woods, but the fact that he did come back at 43 to win the most you know prestigious golf tournament in the world is pretty freaking amazing. 
I tweeted out yesterday. Uh, first of all, I loved that it was in the morning. I, golf yes. in the morning when you first wake up is any is, sports. We've talked about this. Any, any sports. sports, but especially golf. It's a calm. It's calm anyway. It's a calming environment. I just love it. I was just not when on tigers the couch. around. I was, uh, you know, a little, little feeling, feeling the effects of the Saturday event, which we're going to get to. So laying on the couch watching the Masters for six straight hours was awesome. But I said there's very few sporting events or athletes that can take the Yankees off of my TV and push them to a second screen. So I was yeah. watching the Yankees game on my laptop, and I had Tiger Woods up on, on the screen, up on my TV screen. And Tiger's one of the few athletes, few sporting events is the Masters, that can bump the Yankees. Yeah, granted, it's a regular season game against the White Sox, but uh, that can bump the Yankees. Well, it's funny because I was listening on. I was listening to um, John and Susan at, right after Tiger went, you know, w- uh, won the game. I was driving, so I was literally I was with my buddy, and we were streaming the the golf <laughs> while we were driving. So we were watching it. Not the best thing to do, but I, I don't recommend it. But then um, when I was listening to John and Susan. They were basically saying that everybody in the stadium was watching on their phone, and when they saw the Tiger won, like the whole stadium went, you know, and and uh, and started cheering. So it's pretty crazy. She said it was like a surreal moment when she looked over and see everybody looking at their phone in the stadium. So yeah, it wasn't just you par for the bumping course. it. Yeah, it's it's at the stadium. It's like everywhere anybody was, they saw a Tiger the leaderboard going to be walking on eighteen. Like everybody wants to see that. So it was pretty wild. It really was. Apparently. Tiger Woods finishing on 18 coincided with the Tim Anderson Grand Slam. So there you go. So yeah, it was better to watch the Tiger <laughs> walking up 18. But, you know, if you look back at when Tiger started his run and started putting all these championships together for, for his, you know, what is he, a 15 now? Mm-hmm. Um, it started, I believe, in 97. Yep, 97 and at the Masters. They showed all that footage. Uh, got, yep. got a little emotional. Got a little steamy, I got to tell you. Watching him hug his dad and then hug his, hug his son and daughter after. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, when the son was there, you know, as a, as a relatively new dad, like, that's, that's where you get me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's it. But I'm making a point here. Oh, sorry. So 2017, 2000, or I'm sorry, 2007. Uh, no, what, maybe I could talk. 1997. And I think he won his last one in 2008. 2008. Okay. So where did all that winning come from? It came in the same time frame as the New York Yankees. Ooh. We're talking about we're talking about the New York Yankees are up. Tigers up. Tigers up. The New York Yankees are up. That's true. So this is this is what I'm saying. Tiger Tiger has come back from from very very bad odds. Nobody thought he was going to do anything, win another tournament, let alone a major, let alone finish. You know, I mean, he was missing the cut for a long time, for God's sakes. He had guys like, you know, Travis Hafner on his team. He had <laughs> he had guys like, you know, Denny's Lyle waitresses. Overbay and Vernon Wells and, you know, random, random other people going out there playing golf. And now, championship. So, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that the times aren't great. But there, there is something. Uh, there's something in the water here. That's as good of a spin on the Yankees' shitty play as I have heard. So I'm all for the Tiger Woods Yankees championship run of 2019. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Love okay. it. Um, all right, let's talk about the event on Saturday. First regular season BP Crew event of of the year. It was a lot of fun. They they won, which is first and foremost. It's always great to see a Yankees win. That makes us three and zero when we have a crew together at a ball game. Two and zero at spring training. One and zero in the regular season. And if you remember, you know last year we also won at the first event too, which it's surrounded by a lot of losing. But when we are there, good things happen. 
That's true. If you if you did count Baltimore too, because we had a bunch of people at that yeah. game, we would actually be four enough if we wanted to count that as well. Yeah, let's count it. Let's count it, baby. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a, a, a again. Thank you for everybody coming out. It was, it's just, a, it's, just a, it's a great time beforehand. We had people coming from San Francisco. Um, the guy in the Facebook group that I made that unbelievably dumb Sunny Gray bet last year with Carl was there, um, so he was able to uh, give me a bunch of uh, a bunch of shit in person. So that was good. Um, and then you know, met a bunch of people that I've been talking to, or you know, we've all been kind of like talking to online on, on Twitter and Facebook and such. So it's always good to meet in real life and, and kind of get that interaction too. So again, super, super fun. Um, we're doing it again next month, May 31st against the Red Sox. Uh, we've already sold over a hundred tickets to that last year. We sold over 300. So if you're interested in going to that game, make sure you go on and buy those tickets. Cause I do expect that game to sell out. Yeah. It's going to be a battle of the last place. AL East teams, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but to reiterate what Scott said, yeah, the they, you know everyone who came out, thank you, awesome to meet you guys. Um, came up, said you know when you come up to us and say you enjoy the podcast, that makes you know it, it really puts a face to what we're doing because we're just sitting here behind screens talking to each other uh, over the phone or you know over Skype, and it is, it is really awesome to just meet people um, and, and connect with you guys. So love it, uh, May thirty first, like Scott said. But if you guys are out there in the area, want to watch some Yankees baseball this week, we got a couple of chapter events going on. Yeah, yeah. So not even just a couple. We got four of them, which is awesome. These these uh, BP crew cha- chapters are popping up all over the country. Um, if you are out outside the New York City area, definitely go to our um, our Facebook page. There's we have a group uh, called BP Crew. It's set up. Uh, it's a public group you can go into and and join and find a, a chapter that's close to your hometown. And if there's not one there. I guarantee we have a, a, a you know a handful at least of people that have already said they're interested in in getting together. So we're just kind of like max m- matching up people. But this week uh, or over the weekend, Denver got together and they had like seven or eight guys uh, go to a bar and watch games. And I know they had a great time. So we saw some pictures of those guys. So uh, an awesome start there. And then this week we have um, Austin BP crew in Austin, Texas. We have one on, and that's on April sixteenth. And then April seventeenth, there's one in Salt Lake City uh, at Trolley Wing Company. The Austin one is at a Buffalo Wild Wings. The April seventeenth again is Baltimore DC chapter. They're kind of going back and forth with some events in DC, some in Baltimore. Um, and that one's at the White Oak Tavern. And then in Philly, who we met two of the guys that are running that chapter. They were at the event on Saturday. They are uh, Tom and Dave. They're going to be running one in Philly at the Fox and Hound on April 17th. It's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And and for if you go to those events, if you guys are running those events, you know, send out pictures. We want to see them putting up, putting them up on Instagram, putting them up on the website and stuff. It, it's great to see. That's how the things are going to grow too. It's just for seeing, sure. seeing the pictures, seeing the, uh, the fun that you guys are having. Uh, and hopefully the Yankees get a couple wins this week. All right. A couple more housekeeping items before we get to a segment with Brian Hoke, uh, subscribe to George's box every Wednesday, Keith and JJ will have that podcast for you guys. Um, JJ, I'm sure will be talking shit about me, but I think I owned him in a stadium meets video this week. So I, I showed my, I established my dominance, fed him like a little baby. So score another point for me. Uh, there you I'll, go. We don't know when that's going to come out though. It might, it might take know. weeks. It could, you could see that in June, but you know, just know the, the dominance was established in early April. Unlike the New York <laughs> Yankees. Uh, check out the YouTube channel. So that's where all the Stadium Meets videos are going to be. Dom does his weekly Yankees recap videos. Um, we're going to be putting up some more podcast content on the YouTube channel. 
Um, so go subscribe, Bronx Pinstripes. A lot of great stuff will be there all season. And then, as we mentioned, Brian Hoke, uh, I talked to him for about a half hour. He was coming home from the stadium on Sunday night. We went through all of the injury updates, which took almost the full half hour because there's so many damn injury updates. But it was really great to talk to him and, and get you know his expert opinion about some of these guys' timelines. And he had some interesting comments about uh, Boone towards the end and a fun Nick Swisher, Brett Gardner story, which uh, will happen right at the end of that conversation. All right, before we talk about the rest, uh, or t- before we get to that segment, I want to tell you guys about Sleep Number. So, obviously, sleep is very important. Scott, you know it. You just had a child. I know it uh, after drinking all day on Saturday. And the Yankees know it because maybe they're, they're not getting enough sleep. Maybe that's the issue. Uh, well, uh, for proven quality sleep, there's this Sleep Number 360 smart bed because better sleep will change your life. Uh, they sent us a couple of the pillows. We've talked about those. Those help me immensely. You can adjust those pillows just like you can get the adjustable bed. If you like a flatter pillow, if you like a more uh, fluffy pillow, um, whatever you want, they have. So many couples disagree on mattress firmness. Sleep number 360 smart beds let you choose your ideal firmness on each side so it's just the right for both of you. The sleep number 360 smart beds are so smart, they sense your every move and automatically adjust to you, keeping you sleeping comfortably throughout the night. Scott, where can people find them? Yeah, they come in now and save $1,000 on select Sleep Number 360 smart beds when you add smart adjustable base only for a limited time. Sleep Number is ranked number one in customer satisfaction with mattress by J.D. Power. For 2018 award information, visit jdpower.com. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Visit sleepnumber.com slash Bronx to find the one nearest you. All right, joining the podcast now is Brian Hoke, joining from the car on the way home from the stadium. Brian, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, Good to be on with you. Yeah, and uh, I guess the first thing we're going to talk about and the thing that everyone's talking about is all the injuries. Are you tired of writing and talking about these Yankees injuries yet? I I wish that they weren't a thing, to be honest with you, because the... You know, the Yankees are missing some pretty significant pieces here, and I think the product on the field would be a lot more entertaining if they had all these guys back. But um, it kind of makes it easy for me because I I think that the question everybody wants to know is when are these guys getting back? So all you can can do is just keep trying to provide those kind of updates. And obviously um, the timetable keeps moving. It seems like a moving target, you know. I mean, the, the perfect example is Aaron Hicks, who was supposed to be back, what, the, the first series against the Tigers, and uh, now we still don't even know when he's going to get back. So it's been uh, a little frustrating, a little kind of tedious, repetitive, but uh, it's all with one thing in mind, is that the Yankees would be a lot better if they had these guys on the field for him. Yeah, no one's arguing that. I mean, the talent, I, I, I tweeted out something that the talent on the injured list could field almost an all-star team. And that's, it's not even really that sure. big of an exaggeration. But the team that is on the field is still, I think, good enough to beat the White Sox and the Tigers and the Orioles, which they have not done in three series at home. So I, I still think that that is an issue. And I don't think injuries are an excuse for losing to those kind of teams. Yeah, I don't put this all on the injuries. Look, yes, they would be a better team if they had all those guys there, but they've got enough talent that they should be beating uh, the White Sox. You know, uh, 
perfect example is this Carlos Rodon game here. Uh, today, look, Tanaka was not great, but you've got to score more than two runs against Carlos Rodon. And uh, so I think uh, it's, it's a little bit of everything right now. Um, I, I saw a stat where they have not lost their first three series at home since 1982. That's crazy. I, I saw mean, that too. That's uh, amazing. That, that is nuts. That is a nuts stat. So I, I don't think it's going to be this bad all season long. Look, this team started 9-9 nine and nine last year, but – uh, they they need to start picking it up on the field. That that's obvious. And uh, most most importantly, they got to start getting some of these pieces back because um, is the bottom half of that lineup that Aaron Boone put out today uh, clearly is not what we were all talking about down in February and March when we were down in Tampa. Do you think the team is? I, they're never going to say publicly that injuries are a reason why we're losing. But do you think internally they they kind of feel defeated from? It's like it just seemed like a snowball effect, or is one guy after another? I think, you know, Boone said a few days ago, he had a good turn of phrase. He said, you know, every team's going to get punched in the mouth a little bit, uh, you know, time to time. But I feel like the Yankees have been taking a lot of hits to the mouth lately. It's been uh, like going up against Mike Tyson in the 1980s. So, um, like I said, it's not going to be like this all year. They'll start to get some of these guys back. I think the Gary Sanchez thing will be short term. Uh, I think Stanton will be relatively short term. You get those two guys back and – uh, things start to look a little more formidable and a little more like uh, what you thought it was going to be. But I, I think that clearly, uh, I, I think they've been staggered by this a bit. And uh, it, I think it really did catch a lot of them by surprise because uh, in a lot of cases, these came out of nowhere. Uh, Troy Tulowitzki, I don't think you were, you're got to, you can't be completely shocked that Tulo's on the DL, but I think Stanton, you're very surprised, especially when this was the guy who played in, I think, 82 straight games last year. And, uh, he really picked up the slack while Aaron Judge was out, and now it's Judge's turn to pick up the slack. And you mentioned Sanchez. This seems like the least minor of all the injuries, right? He should be back at the end of his 10 days? Uh, I think it's going to be close to the 10 days. You know, Sanchez said 10 days, but uh, I think Boone kind of eased off that a little bit. I, I'm, I'm putting it at two weeks. They, I think that's reasonable. Um, it is a calf strain, and you want to be cautious with it. And, you, you know, how the Yankees go, they always give a timetable and then it winds up being a day or two or a little bit longer than that, even if everything's perfect. So um, I, I'm thinking it will be short term. He'll be back in the lineup before the end of April. And, uh, you know, he fought them on this. He really did not want to go on the DL, especially with everything that's going on right now. Uh, you know, he was able to come off the bench and pinch hit in one of those games and he DH one of the games in Houston. So he thought this was something he could play through, but the Yankees really just didn't want to take a chance of, uh, having him play through it, and then it turns into a four, six, eight-week thing. And, um, you know, I saw that last year with Gary. It was a groin issue, but he had a similar situation where he wound up back on the DL and had to do a second stint. So I think they're trying to avoid that, knowing that it is April. Maybe they can knock it out now and it not be a problem. But um, clearly it's, Gary did not want to go on the DL, and he was pretty vocal about that. Yeah, so you don't think they entertain just having him DH and still call up Higgy and then just carry the three catchers? I think they thought about it. I, I'm sure that they considered it, but for whatever reason, uh, you know, when you, when you send a guy and stuff him into an MRI tube and it has a strain, I think the easy call is to uh, put him on the injured list. I, I keep saying DL, and I really need oh, yeah. to stop because right. DL is, uh, is gone now, but what are you going to do? Um, I, I think it was the easy call to put him on, but I think that obviously Gary didn't want to go on, and I think truth be told, the Yankees – Probably would have preferred not to, but it, it was just a smart thing to do. And speaking of MRIs, 
Batances came back to New York to have an MRI. This this is uh, pretty crazy what's going on with him because he had the decreased velocity and that wasn't really concerning because he's dealt with that in the past. But now it came out that he's had a bone spur in his elbow since high school and it's just he's been able to pitch with it and he's been able to pitch dominant relief with it. So it clearly hasn't been an issue. But they really think a cortisone shot is going to clear everything up? They think so. The, the spur is actually behind his shoulder. So uh, that, that's less concerning to me than okay, uh, being in his elbow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, I mean, who knows? We're, we're all kind of getting our medical degrees here uh, as this goes along. But um, apparently it was an asymptomatic thing. You know, the Yankees, they weren't concerned about it because they gave him a million dollars to not go to college. So uh, clearly this is something they – he was throwing in the high 90s, and it, it had never been a problem until just now. So, um, you know, that's the one that really did surprise me because I figured Batanz would be back probably this week. You know, I kind of figured he maybe this series against the Red Sox coming up, he'd be back for that. And it uh, just never really clicked together. Uh, that and the Severino one, I think, have been the most surprising to me. Um, it, you know, it's just uh, it, it's going to take a lot longer than you thought it would. But, you know, from what you hear, what Dylan says is that he's been told if he calms down for three weeks, doesn't do anything, he'll be back in six or seven weeks, and then he can continue as though nothing happened. Um, but, you know, I, my guard is up about all these things now because I, can't, I, I feel like we've just been hearing it too much, uh, that, you know, everything's fine, everything's going to be okay, and then all of a sudden, well, everything's not okay, and it's going to take longer. So my guard is up on all these things now. Um, but like you said, uh, like I said before, it would be nice to not be dealing with the injury updates, but uh, baseball is a sport of attrition, and I, I think the team that's the healthiest at the end will wind up winning. And what's good for the Yankees is that the Red Sox are off to a slow start too, so they're not looking up at at them. I know that Tampa Bay is twelve and four, but um, I think there's still plenty, 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 plenty of season left to be played, and so I wouldn't uh, go raising any white flags just yet. I don't know. Have you seen, you've, have you been on Twitter recently? The season's over. I was on Twitter five minutes ago and I saw that, which is why I'm saying it. So hopefully, whoever's listening to this podcast, you know, let's just uh, take, a, take a deep breath. We'll take a step back and, uh, you know, like I said, the Yankees started 9-9 nine and nine last year and uh, they wound up winning 100 games. I, I know that every season's different and the, uh, the cast of characters is different, but uh, this team was able to win 100 games last year despite being 9-9. Nine and nine. So if they, they wind up being 9-9 nine and nine or 8-10 and 10 or whatever it is, I, I'm not going to be too worried about it. Yes, the games count in April just the same as they do in September, but um, I, I think that the cast of characters will change as the season goes on. And what's on the lineup right now, what's on the Mike Cockman's uh, uh, the team uh, and Gio Urshula, that will, that will change at some point. Yeah, and for Betances, just personally, I kind of it's terrible timing for him because he's a free agent, and I feel like he's he's never gotten the payday he deserves, even in arbitration updates because he's not been a closer, but he's been one of the best relief pitchers in baseball since 2014. And this, if it impacts his free agency, that just sucks for him personally. Yeah, I mean, you know, Dylan's an easy guy to root for. Obviously, he grew up in New York City, and uh, he's been so good in the community and. Uh, he's been a great Yankee. Look, I mean, multiple-time All-Star. He's been one of the best relief pitchers out of the bullpen. I know I know it's been a little up and down at times, but uh, you look up at his numbers, and this is a guy who deserves to get paid like an elite setup man. And so, yeah, this might affect uh, what he's able to do in free agency. I mean, who knows? Everything in free agency is kind of wonky right now. 
anyway. So uh, it's going to be a tough year for him to be going in. The, the good news is if he can come back and, and beat Dylan Batances in June, July, August, September, then I, I think teams will pay him based off that. Whether it's the Yankees or whoever, I think they would pay him based on what he's able to finish the year doing if he can finish the year strong. But, yeah, he's probably not going to have 100 strikeouts again like he has been doing. Um, yeah, I remember that day uh, we were down there in, in Tampa, and they, they called us in, and Randy Levine was on the speakerphone, and he's had the whole thing, the arbitration win, and then the Yankees took their victory lap, and Randy said the thing about, well, hey, I'm not an astronaut, and Dylan Batances isn't a closer, or you know, whatever it was. I don't remember the exact quote, but – uh, yeah, it's been a long ride for Dallin, and he's an easy guy to root for. You hope that uh, he can just come back and, and be what he's capable of, be, of being because this really uh, was not the year that he was planning on having. And you said Hicks, so I saw an update that Hicks could start rehab games in one to two weeks. Is that not the case anymore? Um, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I think that that might be a little aggressive. Um, you know, I just I feel like – the first step is he's got to get on the field and taking batting practice. And, and before, until he does that, there's really no point in kind of trying to forecast anything. So, uh, you know, he's shown up in Yankee Stadium today. He had to come up and take care of some uh, tax stuff, actually. Uh, so April 15th is coming. So um, I guess he had some paperwork to fill out. So he flew up to New York, and then he's going to fly right back to Tampa. And so he's, he said that he's on day three of tea and toss. So uh, I asked him, does, when does that mean you can get on the field for BP? And he kind of looked at me with a shrug. So I was like, okay. well, is it one week? Is it two weeks? And he said, well, let's say one week, but I don't really know. And I was like, all right. So, so I think he's in, he's as much in the dark as, as you and I are. Um, I, I think that as long as he keeps hitting these checkpoints, eventually he's going to get on the field and take BP. And then you start doing like a simulated game and he can face live pitching. And then, Finally, he can start getting in some of those minor league games, but it's going to be a while for him, even once he does start doing that, because he missed all of spring training. He hasn't been on the field in a game since March 1st, and so uh, he's really going to, I don't think he's going to need a full six-week spring training, but he's going to need like two or three weeks before you can start thinking about plugging him into a big league lineup and then play at Yankee Stadium. I think the Yankees, he's, he's kind of gone under the radar for how much they've missed him in that lineup. I think that lineup is completely different with Hicks probably leading off, but also being a left-handed hitter, switch hitter. So, Well, I think here's the thing that – here's where they really missed him. You remember in the second half last year where they said Brett Gardner played way too much and he ran himself into the ground because he had to and they had no choice but to keep plugging him in out there mm-hmm. because Judge was hurt. And I, I think it's happening again early. I, I You know, poor guard, he's never going to get a day off out there because – he's going to have to play center field every single day. And um, I I think at this stage of Gardy's career, you're you're really asking for trouble doing that. And uh, why he, while he may be healthy, I don't think you're going to get the kind of performance that you would if you were able to spell him once in a while. And um, I haven't seen much from Mike Talkman that suggests to me that he's an answer, that you feel comfortable putting him in. He may very well wind up being one. You know, Luke Voigt's first tour with the Yankees, you didn't see much either um but i haven't seen much yet and so they really don't have much choice other than to keep plugging guardy in because uh there's not a whole lot of other options out there tyler wade i mean they'd probably use tyler wade in center field if they give gardner a day off right i I think talkman would be their first choice to do that he's a natural outfielder you remember talkman made the roster because they 
had questions about Wade in the outfield, and I think Wade would probably be your third choice, but um, yeah, maybe Clint Frazier would be your fourth choice. Uh, yeah, but uh, clearly uh, Boone needs to keep putting Gardner in there because he doesn't love the other options he has. Yeah, and and Duhar, so he, I mean, it, he's trying to rehab. He was taking dry swings, which is one of my favorite terms in baseball, um, at 50% yeah. effort. So when do the wet swings start? Like when do we get an actual – when do we actually find out if Andujar is going to need surgery? Because I don't think dry swings are going to tell us. No, and, and there's a couple things with that. Um, my question is, does he really need to be able to throw? I, I think that – you know, I know Boone said the real test will be if he can go to third base and, and can make that strong throw across the diamond. But do they really need him to play third base? That's my question. Uh, can't he be a DH for you? Can you keep his bat in the lineup? If if he's swinging and he says it's pain free while he's swinging, it's really more when he throws. So if that's the case, why not just have him as a DH and keep that bat around? Um, if he can be even seventy five percent of what he was last year, I mean that that would be terrific for the Yankees. Uh, uh, my other question is, can he play some first base? Um, you know, maybe cut down on the throwing that he has to do. Uh, I think there's a few ways that you can keep him in the lineup, even if he can't throw. But we're not at that point yet. Um, you know, he's lightly tossing in the outfield. Um, I don't think the hitting is going to be a problem for him. I think he's going to be able to advance pretty quickly to taking BP and going in there and being on the field and getting ready to face big league pitching. But, um, you know, the true test is going to be when he starts to kind of throw hard. Um, and, and so – I mean, that question may answer itself. You know, he could he could start throwing, and then all of a sudden it could not be good, and then you're looking at surgery almost immediately. So uh, that's the worst-case scenario. They're really trying to kind of finesse it through that, but um, that's, a, that's the one thing I have. I don't think it's necessarily um, surgery or third base. I, I think there's kind of, there, there should be a middle ground there, assuming he can kind of get back and, and – throwing pain-free or playing pain-free a little bit. Yeah, I, I, see, I think that's a good point. But from their perspective, don't you think they're saying, well, if he, if he can't throw and if the rest isn't going to help the throwing, then that means eventually he might need surgery and we don't want to delay it and then have him impact to 2022. Yeah, I get that too. Um, I, I guess it, it, you're looking, you're sitting here in April and the Yankees could desperately use Miguel Andujar oh, right now. I mean, if had him in the lineup, it would it would lengthen it a lot. You'd feel a lot better about their chance of winning every single night. So you're right. I think that's the push pull. But I, you know, for a fan, I, I want to see Miguel Andujar on the field now and and not worry about 2020. But you know, that's why they pay Brian Cashman and everybody else the big bucks. <laughs> and I saw you tweet something that that kind of got a lot of play on Twitter. That Ellsbury's locker was given to Gio Urshela. So <laughs> everyone, everyone, take a moment, take a pause, pour one out for Ellsbury's locker. What did that thing look like? How much dust was on it? There wasn't much in there. I mean, there wasn't dust because the the clubhouse staff keeps it pretty clean, but there were a lot of empty hangers. I, I think there was like one pinstripe jersey in there and probably 25 hangers, and that was about it. So That's a sad um, scene. You know, they were, they were wasting real estate there, and uh, you, can't, you can't keep a locker there forever for a guy who I, I don't see any realistic timetable when he's going to come back. So, look, I mean, I, we're joking about the locker thing. Look, if he comes back, they'll, they'll find a locker for him. But um, I, I think it's a clear indication they don't expect him to come back anytime soon. And, um, you know, maybe not at all. So who knows? 
for, for Severino, so the, the, he's shut down for, for at least six weeks with a grade two lat strain. Um, the, you know, a few, few questions about this. So why was this missed in the first MRI? Or was it misdiagnosed or was it just missed? I'm, my understanding is this is a completely new injury. So how do you get injured? Something though? did not go well. I, and, and that was a question that we asked of Brian Cashman, and he said, we don't know. It's something they're trying to investigate, but there is no realistic explanation of why that should have progressed from one to the other. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, what I do know is that we were getting those updates for weeks. It felt like that he was long tossing. And I remember watching him in his first throwing session down there in Tampa. And then obviously opening day came and we all went north and then um, Severino stayed behind. But he, he moved from 60 feet to 120 feet and then probably like a little more than that, but he never felt comfortable enough to get on the mound. And um, I've never heard that um, as far as a manager saying that, well, you know, we're going to wait till he tells us that he feels ready to get on the mound. You know, I, in my experience, the pitcher is always ready to get on the mound and the team has to hold him back. So, um, you know, we haven't talked to Stevie about it yet, um, but clearly uh, something didn't feel right. And, and something was holding him back. He, he didn't feel like he was ready to, to take that on. And um, so um, I, I think that I don't know what would have caused that other than that, uh, you know, something in the, the motion of throwing caused a lap strain. I, you know, but I think what you see with a pitcher is usually these are all interconnected. So if you're compensating for one thing, then they'll wind up affecting another part of your body. You're overcompensating. And I, I would suspect that's probably – what happened, but um, I'll wait until Severino tells me that before I, I lock that in. Mm-hmm. And we're a few days away from the, the Gio Gonzalez 420 opt-out date. Do you see, have you, have you heard any inner rumblings about what they're thinking with him? He's pitching better. Um, you know, uh, the first couple of outings down, uh, in spring training it did not look good at all. And then his first outing, he started opening day for Scranton and it didn't go well. Uh, the, the next two, I think, have been pretty decent. So I, I think it really is going to depend on the need at the big league level. Um, getting CeCe Sabathia back does not help Geo's chances, I don't think. Um, I suspect that they're going to try to work out something else to keep Geo around. Um, you know, they could just because he does have the opt-out, they could always modify that and if the player agrees to it. Um, and they could push that back and make it a May 15 or something like that. I think that the Yankees are going to try to exhaust all options because uh, this turns out to be a, I know everybody looks at it and says, well, it's only $3 million, but at $300,000 each start, that can rack up really quickly if he goes and makes 20 starts or whatever it is going to be. Unless so, they use him in the bullpen. I think that's why you, yeah. Can they do that? I don't know. Here's what we were thinking about. What if they used an opener for him yeah, and then started exactly. him? You know, yeah. then, you, then you avoid paying him completely, but I think the Players Association have a, a big gripe about that. I, I don't think that uh, they can do that without getting some heat about it. But anyway, I, I think that, look, Gonzalez is a big league pitcher. I think he can help the Yankees. Um, he's continuing to improve down there. Um, I think Domingo Herman has shown – good stuff uh, in his first few turns there, but clearly um, I, I think that you're, you're really just one injury away from really needing Gio Gonzalez, and 
I, I think the fact that CC Sabathia came back and pitched so well yesterday, I mean, that was uh, vintage CC. He looked great. Um, I think that obviously they're banking on him. They're going to keep giving the ball to Herman. Um, you know, and then you've got your other spots kind of lined up there. Um, so maybe there's no room right now, but I, I think that Gio, remember Gio Gonzalez said that he didn't get any other offers. He said the Yankees were pretty much the only offer he got. So I, I don't, I don't know if there's a team out there that, that needs them so badly that they, they'll snap them up right now. So I think, uh, maybe you wind up working out a new contract with him and you push it back to late May and, uh, then you have a better idea of whether you absolutely need Gio or not. Yeah, and if, if you think about when the signing happened, it happened right after the Severino news, and at that point we knew Sevy was going to be shut down for four weeks. So the April 20th opt-in, opt-out made sense from a timing perspective. But now with Severino's setback, pushing it back again, you know, if Gio agrees to that, I think makes sense again for the Yankees. I think they, it's worth trying. I, I think Gio wants to be a Yankee from everything I can tell. Um, you know, he seemed very enthusiastic about being part of that team. So um, I think if they came up with some kind of maybe a handshake agreement with him, like, look, we will call you up, but we just don't have a spot right now or we don't want to do it right now. We want you to continue working Trenton. I, I think he might be amenable, uh, amenable to that. So, all right, we're done. We're done talking about injuries. Finally, <laughs> um, the uh, Ooh, one, one, lot. I mean, there's so many of them. It's crazy. It's it's absolutely crazy. And I'm I'm frankly just tired of. First of all, I'm tired of uh, talking about it. I'm tired of it it being an excuse because I'm still not happy with how the team is playing. But you know, Boone said in right. Houston after they left Houston, we're close to turning the corner. Everyone ran with that because the team just got swept, and now they came home lose two out of three of the White Sox. But do you think you know Boone saying that, which I think is just typical Boone cliche speak? And Judge not really agreeing in that video clip. Do you think there's any, you know, people making too big of a deal out of that? Or is that just Judge being the leader of the team like he is saying, you know, we got to play better? Um, Probably. You know, I I wasn't there in Houston, so I I can't give you the complete context for it. But, um, you know, what's Boone going to say? You know, we're we're playing like crap and I don't, I hate it. And I mean, it's too early to, to really go nuclear on your clubhouse. And I think, uh, some of it was probably to reassure his team. Right? Maybe it's not to speak to the fans and the media so much as it is to tell the guys, you know, give them a pat on the rear end and say, hey, you know, things are going to be okay. We're really close. We're going to turn the corner. I mean, what does that mean anyway? So uh, I didn't really have much of a problem with it. You know, I think that uh, Judge gave you a little more unvarnished look into uh, the mindset. And he's been really good at that um, ever since he came up, really. But um, there's a reason that he was compared to Derek Jeter so much in 2017 and, and in terms of that kind of being a spokesman for the team. And uh, I, you know, nine times out of 10, if I'm going for a state of the team, um, you know, quote, or to really kind of tell the fans how the, uh, the clubhouse is operating, I, I'll probably go with judge over Boone. So, um, you know, and that's not, that's not a slight on Aaron. It's just on Aaron Boone. It's just, uh, I, I think that, you always want to hear what the players have to say, and I think Judge is really good at that. And, um, so I, I, I'll take Judge's word over Boone uh, in that scenario. Mm-hmm. And, and Boone doesn't strike me as the type of manager who goes nuclear on his clubhouse. Um, and I think that's a, reason, no. that's a reason why he was hired as well. I mean, that's by design. Right. Yeah, he's not the kind of guy who's going to go flip the, uh, the food table and 
you know, getting guys' faces and scream. You know, Bob Clappish's book has a great line that has really stuck with me. And I think the book is called Inside the Empire, and I just finished it. And um, he did a great job with it. Um, but there's a great quote in there, and it says, there's three kinds of dad. It's there's so the funny you're bringing this indifferent, up. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, 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 it's great. Go dad. ahead. Go ahead. Get the words right. I'm not sure exactly, but there's kind of the indifferent dad who kind of just checked out and watching TV and uh, doing whatever. There's the stern father, and then there's the cool dad. And the Yankees have had all three in a row: in Joe Torre, Joe Girardi, and Aaron Boone. And so, uh, yeah, Boone is the cool dad, and uh, he's going to talk about his dudes in the clubhouse and, and talk about how he's got faith in all these guys, and you know, we're, things are really close, but. Um, yeah, I think that uh, yeah, he's definitely a different personality than what the Yankees had in Girardi and, and in Torrey, too. It's, I was laughing because we did a whole segment on that exact quote. It was, Joe Torrey is the good dad, Joe Girardi is the stern dad, Aaron Boone is the cool dad. So, yeah, very. I thought it was a great quote as well. Um, and, you know, I it's think... Head with him. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think with the way the team is playing, like they're making mistakes in the base pass. We saw some sloppy defense in Houston. The bullpen is blowing games when we thought the bullpen was going to be the biggest strength of the team. So, right. you know, I, I still think there could be, you know, it doesn't matter who's on the field. You shouldn't be making outs on the base paths. And the Yankees continue to do it game after game, it seems. So uh, is that an opportunity, do you think, for Boone to, to maybe get, you know, get a little rise in that clubhouse because that kind of stuff should not be happening. I think so. I, I think that um, just from the outside looking in, I think Boone's a delegator with that stuff. So I think that he, he leaves that to his coaching staff. So uh, Phil Nevin, in, in my opinion, is the guy in that clubhouse who is most likely to get in somebody's face and say, Hey, we don't do that here. You know, this is not how you do it. This big league, this is the big leagues. This is not how it's done here. Um, Nevin is kind of that attack dog in that clubhouse. You know, they've got Carlos Mendoza in the, uh, who's their quality control coach. And I think that would fall under his purview as well. But, um, for me, if, if I'm looking for a coach to get on somebody and really kind of chew them out, I think Nevin's the guy. And, um, so I think we saw uh, that at one point you know, last year too. That, yeah. If that's happening, I think that's Nevin's, uh, task to do. And then Boone can kind of sit in the, uh, the other corner of the dugout and still be the cool dad. <laughs> uh, I, I really do love that. Yeah. Well, what, what dad are you? I know you got kids. Uh, you know, I'm the cool dad too. I mean, you're the dad who goes to baseball girls, games every day. Of course you're the cool dad. Yeah, I, I am. Um, I'm, I'm not the stern dad. You know, I, I, I'd like to think I'm Girardi, but I'm probably more Boone. Yeah. Well, Brian, appreciate the time. Um, maybe I saw you tweet out that you got uh, Nick Swisher's album in the mail, so maybe pop that in, listen to some tunes for the rest of the way on your way home. That would be great. Yeah, the, the smooth sounds of Nick Swisher taking me all the way home. Did he ever sing in the clubhouse back? Because I knew you were there when he was on the team. You know, he would kind of karaoke a little bit. You know, he was loud. He, his swish was always loud no matter what. I mean, that, that shouldn't come as a surprise to you. But I do remember... They had this uh, kind of giant boombox, uh, jukebox thing that they would roll. And Brett Gardner was a rookie then, or he was a, probably a second-year player. And he had to lug this damn thing around um, to every town they went to. And, um, you know, this is obviously before Bluetooth and all that. And so, yeah, Swish would bring his iPod, and Gardy would bring the giant speaker. And 
um, you know, they would crank it up, and Swish would, you'd hear Swish, you'd hear Swish singing along, a lot of country music out of him, a lot of, like, hip-hop dance stuff, um, yeah, no, Swish, Swish had an eclectic taste, uh, and for a while I was keeping, like, a, a running log of uh, what was on Swish's uh, iPod today, and uh, he would sing along to all of it, he, he would take a bat and kind of uh, pretend he was singing along, use that as a microphone, so... Um, it was it was always loud when Swish was around, and um, it still is. You know, in spring training when he's around, you know when he's there. I know he's only there for five or six days uh, during spring training, but you knew every single day when he was there because uh, you heard him before you even saw him. Right, right. That, that's that's great. I love the boombox thing. All right, Brian. Well, um, you mentioned uh, the Inside the Yankee Empire book, but if you guys have not checked out Baby Bombers, check that out. Brian wrote it last year, um, and I know we did a giveaway for that last year as well. So any plans for a follow-up there? Right. Yeah, and if you want to learn more about Nick Swisher and his boombox and all that, all those stories about the 2009 Yankees, uh, Mission 27 with myself and Mark Feinstein is coming out in June. Awesome. And that will be... The 2009 Yankees, 10 years later, we caught up with almost everybody on that roster and um, we kind of told the trend, how the transition from the old ballpark to the new one, how that team came together. And we got some really good stories that were never reported at the time. I'll, I'll hold them back for now. But yeah. um, if you want to talk about them in June, June 4 is the release date. Um, it, it's going to be a, it was definitely a fun project to work on. And uh, that was a, that was a really fun time to be around the Yankees and, Hopefully we captured a lot of that. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get you back on then, and we'll uh, we'll do another book give- giveaway for it. Sounds good. Can't All right, wait. Brian. Appreciate the time. You got it. Thank you. Okay, so we are back. Um, the Yankees were are now three and six at home, and they've lost all three of their first series at home, which I, I saw a stat uh, has not, as we said in the Hoke interview, as I'm realizing now, has not happened since like the early 80s. All to three terrible teams, the Orioles, the Tigers, the White Sox. I, I, I'm at a point now, like, what do you even say? I, yes, more bad teams, they're losing to more bad teams, more sloppy play. It's like the same stuff over and over again. Yeah, it's not fixing itself. You're starting to see. I mean, it's it's hard to even like look at at all of these injuries and say, oh, it's only because of the injuries. I don't think it's only because of the injuries because when you're seeing these bad teams that they're that they're losing to, um, you're and you're looking at the players that are on the field, like it's you should still be very competitive if not winning a lot of those games. Uh, you still have a better team even with all of these injuries than some of these other guys. That being said, they do play into it, but the the you know, it's it's like one day they're super sloppy in the field. Uh, and then the next day they're you know, Jay Happs leaving meatballs over the plate. It's like something significantly goes wrong and and they're just not able to um, get back from it and it's all against these bad teams. And when you look at the difference of what's happened so far this year, and compared to what they were last year and the dominance they had at home where there was such a home field advantage, you know, in theory, when we thought they would come home and they would just mash the ball. It was just it was a home run derby when they got home. And it's just not the case right now. They're not playing the way that they have in the past at home and they're not taking advantage of these uh, these series where they need to. And like you said, man. Unfortunately, that's that was one of the big problems last year. That was the reason why the division was lost, not capitalizing on opportunities that they should have that they should have won games. And we're already seeing it. So um, 
that luckily the rest of the AL East, except for Tampa, is also doing the same thing. So maybe that's the silver lining. I'm not going to call that a silver lining because I, I look at that as a missed opportunity. <laughs> like, you think the Red Sox are going to play sub 500 ball all year? Because I don't. And you had, no, an, oppor- you but- had an opportunity to, with, with all these powder puff teams in the beginning of the year, with the exception of Houston, which you got swept, but you didn't take advantage. And the, the easy schedule is almost over because you got two against Boston this week, four, four against Kansas City to finish up the homestand, which should be an easy series win. But then you go to the West Coast. And that's not going to be an easy trip. Look how much the Red Sox just kind of a weird. It's kind of a weird West Coast trip too. It's a strange West Coast trip. Interleague play. It's not going to be easy. So, like you, you I look at it as a missed opportunity, even with all the injuries, to beat up on bad teams. At the very least, I understand when you're missing basically an all-star roster of talent on the injured list. You're not going to play six or seven hundred ball, which this team is capable of playing when fully healthy. But there's no excuse for not playing 500 ball. This team is still talented enough to win games against these bad teams. Jay Happ should be able to go out there and beat the White Sox. Masahiro Tanaka should be able to go out there and beat the White Sox. Yeah. When you're looking at this stuff, too, and, and when I, when I, when I said talk about silver lining, like silver linings are looked at when things already happened. Should they have taken advantage of these? Absolutely. There's no doubt. They are missed opportunities. That's, that's exactly what this is. But when you look at what has already transpired and the fact that they are in the, 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 um, the place that they are where they've lost, they're three and six at home, and you look around, you're like, oh, well, I, we've lost. We've been terrible. But everybody else has two, except for one team, except for Tampa. So that's where my silver lining comes into. At least there's some other the teams that you think are going to be there at the end are also struggling. Mm-hmm. Now Tampa is is an interesting team. Like they snuck up on everybody last year. They're not sneaking up on anybody this year. They have more pitching this year, which is crazy because they had the Cy Young winner last year, and now they've added two more pieces. Um, the the kid they got from with from Archer for the Pittsburgh Glass now. He's pitching like they thought he would in Pittsburgh coming up. And then you add uh, Charlie Morton. And now you actually have like three legitimate starters, not openers, but starters to that team, uh, it, along with, you know, the bullpen that they, you know, managed last year as, uh, as bullpenning throughout the time. So they're starting to worry me more if, uh, if, I'm, being, if I'm being a little honest, because they look a lot like a similar team offensively. Well, uh, but I think they've actually gotten better in the pitching side. Well, it- yeah, I mean, you knew they were going to be a good pitching team, but they are scoring some runs, and I didn't think they were going to... I thought they were still going to have to scrape runs, and, and they're getting some better performances uh, offensive side, too. But yeah, I mean, I, I also don't expect Tampa to play what, this level either, but it, it's, it's, the op- it's, it's a missed opportunity, like I said, to, to take advantage of, of a week schedule. And on Friday night, they come home looking to turn the page after being swept in Houston after... You know, how are we going to turn the page, right? How are we going to turn that corner that Boone is talking about? And then you were at that sloppy mess on Friday night. Like, yes. I don't even know why they played. It was pouring rain the entire time. Hap never looked comfortable on the mound. I want to talk about him in a second. But they scored f- five runs against Giolito, and then it just looked like someone unplugged them. Like, where, okay, where's the energy now? Why are you just stopping now? That, that's what it looked like. Yeah, well, and Giolito stayed in the game. I mean, he was he was all over the place. Like they, he was able to to be hit because they were locking in on the strike zone and able to uh, to make good contact against him, and and it was working well. It was working great. And and then Hap, just you know, again was the um, he came out and and started the game um, slow again. Like very first pitch of the game, boom, double over Gardner's head. Like obviously they were trying to jump on him in the beginning. He was trying to get ahead, didn't work, and that run ended up scoring. But he. You know, it seemed like he was going to settle down for a minute, 
And then again, man, he was just he just couldn't find the strike zone. That was one of the big problems. He wasn't around the strike zone, and when he was coming over, it was meatball. And and these kids, these guys were just sitting on it and uh, and hitting. And honestly, like the the meat of the off of the uh, the 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 core of that White Sox lineup is actually pretty good. If you look at their the middle of their lineup, it's yeah. actually pretty potent. Anderson, but, I mean, Tim Anderson was batting 500 coming into the series, and Abreu is always a dangerous hitter. Moncada's yeah, like just Alonzo was smoking the ball. He's a dangerous hitter, so, yeah, I so get they do, it, they do but, have some offense. But okay. but but you should be able to hit them. There's no doubt about it. You should be able to hit them, and you should be able to manage that offense. You should be able to do that. The pitching and, and they staff, were, the pitching they were staff able to for hit the White Sox him. came in with a six and a half ERA. To Terrible, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and and they showed that. I mean, it's not like they didn't really show that. And you know, on Friday, at least, they I mean, took Friday, advantage. Giolito yeah, was terrible. I mean, Ivan Nova shuts you down, <laughs> shuts you down until like the seventh inning on Saturday. And yesterday, the Yankees scored two runs. Yeah, so um, it's it's frustrating when you see that. But um, you know, Jay Happ's got to get right. I don't know what's going on. Like, I know he's been pitching in terrible weather basically every two time. Two out of his three like. starts have been in rain environment. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know what the deal is with that. And and. To be fair, in the beginning of the game, like it was, it was kind of a mist. It wasn't really like a, a, a rain at that point, and then it definitely stopped for uh, an inning or two. It, it was still like a little bit of a mist, but there was no rain per se. So I'm not really blaming on that. He he was able to grip the ball. It wasn't like that wet where they couldn't get a grip on the ball. Um, you saw towards the end when they should have called it before they did when the ball was getting away from some of the White Sox pitchers and almost hitting Aaron Judge in the freaking head. Yeah. Like, you see that? Can we end the game, please? I don't care who wins or loses. Stop the game. Yeah. If guys are throwing 97 miles an hour and they can't control their fastball and it's leaking towards uh, you know, the heads of, of a guy who's 6'7", end the game. I know. They, they try and avoid doubleheaders at all costs for the, the health and safety of players. But I, uh, you're never going to be able to logically explain to me how what they did on Friday night is is safer for player safety than uh, playing a doubleheader on Saturday. No, it's in not. In 70 degree weather. <laughs> it's not. It's, there's, there's no way. It was, you could see that the ball was getting away from the pitcher. Yeah. And quickly on Hap, he's now allowed 12 earned runs and 19 hits and 12 and a third innings pitched. He has yet to make it out of the fifth inning against the White, against the White Sox once and the Orioles twice. So just, he's been lost. Uh, I'm not, you know, I, I think he can turn it around. He was a great pitcher for the Yankees last year, and he doesn't need to be their ace or their number two pitcher. He just needs to be the middle of a rotation guy. He, you know, boring Jay Happ. Remember that? Just give us six innings, boring Jay Happ. I'm, I'm so close to calling him Ja, though. I mean, he is like <laughs> one bad start away from being called Ja. I was there at the at the uh, game with my buddy, and I'm like, man, like. So there's there's I have a there's a connection with Jay Happ that that's a, like a, a charity connection that I, I I just can't I can't like not like the guy because he's done some really really good things for for um, for pediatric cardiology which is obviously close to me and and our situation with with Kemp and I I just I can't I personally cannot like bring myself to to not like the guy so my buddy was like can i hate him can i hate him and i'm like please talk as much shit as you can because i can't do it right now the yin and the yang baby and i'll hate on him too and uh (laughs) and listen he seems like a fun guy did you see the clip going around so after cc start j hap asked him a question uh cc got a big uh laugh out of it but hap asked him how are you able to paint the corners after not pitching for six months but i but i really think sabathia needs to sit down with j hap and be like okay this is how you do it because clearly (laughs) you're not doing it right now this is the Andy Pettit solution yeah. uh, uh, and, and how you extend your career. Yeah. Let's sit down and talk about this. Yeah, okay, you're forcing fastball up in the zones, getting pounded. Okay, let's try something different. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there needs to be some tutelage there. 
But it's amazing. I mean, Sabathia comes back after a heart issue, after knee issues, after not having pitched, like like we said, since the end of last season. He goes out there, five shutout innings on one hit, and he probably could have gone out there for a sixth inning. They're not going to push him, though. But it's just that veteran mentality where Sabathia is going to he's going to be out there and he's going to figure it out. I mean, I don't know if if anybody else like what their thoughts were when when they saw CC was going to take the ball on Saturday. But for me, it was like I, I expect him to go out there and and put up a tremendous start because not only is this guy a gamer, but he's last year you know the stopper of the team, the guy that comes in and after a loss will come in and. Uh, and, and, you know, pitch well and keep you in the game and give you an opportunity to win. Like, that's he's the settling factor. He's the guy that comes in and just kind of writes the ship. And that's what he's been for, for a long time for, th- for these Yankees. And that's exactly what he did again. Just comes out and deals. And you know on his first start of last year, he wants to come out there and, and show, not just, not just come out there and show that he's healthy, but show that he's uh, a, an effective guy that can come and compete with, with anybody. And that's what, we, that's what we saw, man. So it was great to just see him back on the mound. I think just having the presence of him, like Judge was talking about uh, at one point, you have a quote in here, uh, that it's good to see our leader back, Judge said. So like that, that type of thing to me is very good, um, having him back in the locker room all the time, and, and just that presence I think is, is good for the team. This is his last season. Enjoy it. He's going to go out there and he's going to get hit in certain starts. And you're going to be like, oh, God, how are we putting up with four innings and six runs of Sabathia tonight? Like, this is annoying. We got to be better. But he's also going to go out there and he's going to give you tremendous performances. And he's going to give you ballsy performances. I mean, that dude needs a wheelbarrow to carry those things around. That's how big they are. (laughs) So, But just enjoy Sabathia's last year is what I'm saying. When he's out there... Uh, just remember the good times. Remember the 09 championship. Remember how dominant he was and how good of a, of a signing he has been for the Yankees. Um, definitely going to be, you know, a fun ride for CC. I feel like you're season. prepping people for doomsday for CC at this point. Like, no, no, no uh, not doomsday. I, I'm saying we know he's retiring at the end of this year. Yeah. So enjoy I, it. I'm, I'm just prepared. You know, he will go out there and get hit in certain starts. Like we, sure. But we understand that. But we don't expect him to go out there and pitch shutout baseball every time. That's not him anymore. His ERA the, at the end of the season is going to be in the high threes, but we should be okay with that as him being our number five starter. It, 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 when, I'm, when I'm looking at what he does and, and the fact that this is his last year and he knows this is his last year and everybody else knows this is his last year, it would not surprise me if he came out and had a, a phenomenal season. If he could stay healthy and, and go the five innings. The crazy thing is now, now with our expectations where they are with starting pitching, seeing CeCe go out there for five innings is like, Everybody else, it's just kind of normal, you know what I mean. So, like before, I think when when we're all talking about CC coming back, and you know, I was on the on the on the side that I, I expected them to sign a one year deal, but it, I didn't think it was the best thing for the team. I, I thought they could have filled that with another with another guy that maybe would have done better. But at this point, when you're looking around, like everybody's a five inning guy. So if CeCe's also a five-inning guy now, what's the difference? Right. He's, he's still not throwing, throwing 97, he's throwing yeah. 87, but who cares? Who gives a shit? He can go out there and pitch and, and, and mix it up. And when he's, on the, when he's on the mound, he's an extremely effective pitcher. So it would not surprise me if he went out in his last year, knowing all the things around that, that, that he pitched um, when he is out there, pitched very well. So Yeah. No, uh, he's going to have certainly a lot of performances like we saw Uh on on Saturday and it was it was good they scratched they didn't get him a win but it doesn't matter they won the game uh they scratched some runs late aided by the White Sox not being able to turn a double play doesn't matter they they got enough offense across and we saw a little small ball which got us all excited a little safety squeeze from your boy Tyler Wade it's exactly why he's there Mr. Safety Squeeze himself um that was fun to see 
It was. He made a great play at second base as well. So defense and and you know moving runners and like the little things. This is exactly where I put this kid. It was a, this was his role. You know, it didn't really matter to me as much. I mean, this was with everybody healthy as well, but um, it didn't matter as much what I was going to get from him offensively. I needed him to do the little things. I needed him to play great defense, run the bases well. Like that's that's why he's there. And granted, now he's going to be playing a lot more than anybody ever expected. Um, so yeah, he needs to step off the offense because of that. Because now he's going to be relied upon more to get on base. But um, if he's doing those things, like I think there's a lot of value there, and and that bunt was fun to watch. What was it? I think it was uh, one out, first and third. So mm-hmm. Frazier was going, moving on contact. Um, it was it was it was cool to see from the stands. It was you couldn't tell when Frazier was running. Like I, I didn't see exactly. So we, I think a lot some of us thought it was a suicide squeeze in the beginning, but no, it was more of a safety squeeze where he started going on contact. Yeah, and I mean he's certainly behind Urshela at third at, in the infield depth chart at at this point. I think he's more going to be. Uh, a, uh, a utility guy that's going to shift around, but Urshela also, you know, he looks competent at the plate. He's hitting 308. He gives you at bats up there. So, mm-hmm. okay. He's, he's a, got a very good glove. They gave away, they gave his, they gave Ellsbury's locker to Urshela. So, you know, all right, I'm on the Urshela bandwagon. Yeah, maybe this is like a, you know, a Solarte, a little Solarte comparison where Solarte came in and, and had some very good. Uh, weeks, months mm-hmm. with the Yankees, and, and then, then got when, traded for Mr. Cream Cheese himself. So there's um no he he the kid looks pretty good and he's got a very good glove. So defensively you're you're not you're not missing anything with Urshela over there if he could put some uh, good at bats together and allow that you know for Tyler Wade because I I definitely don't think Tyler Wade's staying in one spot. He's going to be moving all over the damn place. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I'm Wade's, surprised we haven't seen him more at short to tell you the truth. If once an outfielder comes back, whether it's Stanton or Hicks first, uh, I think Wade's probably the guy that goes down. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, but right now he's a, he's a piece that they need to, to, to do well and to contribute in whatever way he can. And, you know, sometimes it's run prevention. Tanaka on Sunday was baffling because he looked exactly like he's looked all season in the first three innings, which was dominant. He retired eight of the first ten batters. It was easy. And then he comes out in the fourth inning and – forgot how to pitch and he's lucky judge threw the guy out the leadoff runner trying to go to second base he threw him out the inning could have been a lot worse if it wasn't for that but he lost the strike zone he walks a couple guys and then in a blink of eye gives up a a grand slam to Anderson and that was that was the ball game I it, it was it was kind of startling to to be watching because it happened so fast yeah, when I saw the score, so I was again, I was I was driving and uh, I, I had turned it on a little late. But when I saw the score, I was like, I guarantee that was a, a grand slam because he usually doesn't allow four runs when when you're stringing together hits. That's just not his style. It's usually pretty quick. It's like bang, 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 and then boom, there's a big score on the board. Uh, and if it's not, it's it's usually a home run because it's usually you know he's been managing these home runs where they're solo shots. Yep. Uh, but when there's a a big number put up quick. I saw, like, man, that was a grand slam, I guarantee it. And sure sure as shit. Well, this year, up until this start, he had also limited the home run damage. There were a lot of ground balls for him, as we talked about um, on the last episode. But, yeah, there was more balls elevated yesterday, a couple extra base hits in the grand slam. I mean, you can't get too mad at the guy because he had had three great starts before that. But we talked about with Severino down, we need him and Paxton, Tanaka and Paxton, to carry this rotation with Severino out. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, another guy. Paxton needs to figure those things out too because Tanaka 
is is going to I mean you look at his history and that home run ball is going to come more often than is coming right now you know we, we he he was left in on on the start before this in a crucial position when they needed a ground ball because that's what he had been doing he'd been getting those ground balls and he got it you know to to Boone's credit to Tanaka's credit they left him in to execute something and he did it and you know, leaving that ball elevated. It seems like it just happened. Like he lost the feel for the ball in that fourth inning. And, and that was, and that was it. They just, you know, they did all the damage in, in, in that one inning. And, and that was, and that was done for him. So it's, it's, it's crazy how you can come out there feel as good as you are, you know, put away um, eight out of 10. Was that what it was in the beginning? And then all of a sudden it's like, you're, you lose control of the strike zone and you're leaving a ball over the plate and pop yeah. for nothing. Eight out of his first ten were retired, and then his next yeah. ten batters, he only retired two out of ten. So there you go. It was, Just it was flip it. Literally, it's a nice literally little mirror flipped. image. Yeah. yeah. And another concerning thing from the from the season really is Chad Green. We had briefly mentioned that he doesn't look like the same Chad Green. Well, he's now allowed three home runs and eight hits in six and a third innings. He did pitch a scoreless inning on Sunday. But just watching him using the eye test, he doesn't look like the same guy. His fastball, I checked, is about a mile an hour lower. Uh, velocity it's still 95 96 miles an hour usually on the radar gun which should be plenty fast enough he's not locating it well a lot of it is in the middle of the plate and the two home runs he gave up on Friday night my god the first one was an absolute missile out to left field that thing bounced off like the bullpen uh, back bullpen like walk and then bounced into the bar back there I mean I was standing right there it almost hit me in the face like not things you see out of Chad Green no, no, the ball was, was a, it was literally a missile coming at us. I was, uh, I was out in the, uh, in center field at that point. I went out there to meet some people and it was raining and yeah, the ball came flying at us pretty, pretty hard. Um, so yeah, that was, that was no good. Like he's Jonathan Holder has been the same in, very similar in the sense that they're not locating. And when you're not locating, you can't get guys out because they're just going to wait for something in the zone. And if they see a trend of not, of, of you not hitting your, your spots, then they're just not going to swing. Major league hitters are not going to get off their game when you're not locating. They're not going to go and chase a guy that doesn't have control. It's just not going to happen, especially when you see a reliever come in and and having uh, struggling, you know, hit the strike zone. They're just not going to do it. They're not going to chase those the pitchers they normally would. Your out pitches are no longer effective if you can't control the strike zone and locate your fastball. And especially for Green, who relies so heavily on his fastball. If he's not locating his fastball, he's completely... The majority, sc- of, re- the majority of relievers work off of the fastball. And I understand that, but, it, it, then- but a lot of them have secondary pitches that they can go to and get outs with. Chad Green's slider is not good enough to get outs with. His fastball is his pitch. So when he doesn't sure. have his fastball, he's kind of screwed. No, absolutely. It's, it's a problem for him, especially. Um, but Jonathan Holder has been... In, in a similar position where he's coming in and just not locating well and getting hit hard. Yeah. And when you have two guys that are, you know, crucial cogs of this, of this bullpen, especially with Patances out, then they have to start pitching better. And, and when you're coming in allowing, you know, heat seeking freaking missiles on, on, uh, you know, in two home runs, one of them being just an absolute laser, it's an issue. It's a problem. And, and there's, you know, the, the reliability from the bullpen right now is a problem because Boone is going to certain guys at, 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 at times where he thinks they can be effective and they're just not, they're, they're letting his trust down. So now he's in a spot where he's got to bring Adovino in every other day. I and mean, we saw him in the beginning, you know, the first, what, like eight games of the season, he pitched almost seemed like every day he was out there. And, you know, yesterday, I think he got in finally after not pitching for a solid four or five days, but 
you know, when you when you start seeing guys that are become unreliable, that's when you see uh, parts of the bullpen get overworked, and then that will hurt you later in the season. So yes, Adafino has been by and far their best reliever, the guy I want on the mound. But Luis Sessa has been their second best reliever. So that's the state of this bullpen right now. I have confidence Chapman, Britton, Chad Green, Jonathan Holder will turn their seasons around. But the fact is, Luis Sessa has been their second most effective reliever. Yeah, no, Sessa's been good. I think that's, and we've been kind of hoping that was going to be the case, right? We saw a, a much more confident guy coming out of spring training. <laughs> but if I told and, you at the last week of March that, oh, Adovino and Luis Sessa, that's your bullpen two, yeah. two and a half weeks into the season, you're saying, oh, shit. Oh, no, I would have predicted that. Remember, that was one of my bold predictions. Well, one of your bold you know, predictions. Let's was... let's just talk about the ones that I got horribly wrong and not the ones I got right so far. That's a good thing. All let's right. do that. Well, I want to ask you. So everyone loves DJ LeMahieu so far. There's nothing not to like because he's hitting 395, 19 for, for uh, 48. He has, has a hit in all but three games that he's played in. Um, he hit third on Saturday and he hit leadoff on Sunday. We've been asking for him to be moved up in the lineup and he finally is. But no home runs so far. Yeah, um, Spraying the ball all over the field, getting hits mm-hmm. with runners on base, which which awesome. I don't need him to be a 25 home run guy, though, which is what you predicted. You, you're getting a little concerned about your, your prediction because, you know, well, my, my I'm not a mathematician. 20, was I'm 20. not a mathematician. My prediction was 20. My bet was 25 that I told that I said was it was probably too much. So 20 was the was the was the uh, was the prediction. Can so, you tell me how many home runs he's on pace for? Yeah, he's on on pace for zero home runs okay. <laughs> at this point. Um, but a lot of those balls were, you know, off the wall. So, you know, in June and July, those balls are going out. Okay. That's where I am. I- I'm fine with that one. If I lose that <laughs> one, it's fine. He's hitting 400, so I'm good. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and leave him, in the, you leave him in the leadoff spot. Gardner does not look good at the plate. Gardner's going to keep playing until some more guys come off the injured list. But bat him ninth, bat him towards the, bat him towards the bottom of the order. Give me more at-bats of LeMahieu. Um, bat him towards the bottom of the order? I want him at the top of the order. I said Brett Gardner. I said, oh, dude, yeah, so, Gardner. So Gardner was out of the leadoff spot against the lefty on Sunday. Um, finally. Finally. Because it took a very long time for us to get to this point. He was moved up to three on the Saturday and then finally moved out. But we've been calling for him to get bumped up. I mean, it's the most obvious thing to do. This guy, literally everybody's hurt. And <laughs> this guy's hitting, you know, you know Ted Williams uh, on, the, on the season plus. And, and you're batting him like, towards the end of the lineup but right. let's 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 make use some common sense here and and bump him up to the top of the lineup guys making a ton of contact you have home run hitters behind him why are we not putting him at the top of the lineup it's it, his at-bats are unbelievable every single time he's up like i don't care even if he gets out he puts together a, a crazy good at-bat every single time he's up we're gonna see him lead off again i believe on tuesday because sales scheduled to pitch but it wouldn't surprise me if gardner's back leading off against Evaldi um when he pitches on wednesday yeah, I mean, if, if he goes with the lefty-righty thing, then then that's at least something. But he needs to be towards the top, if not lead off. Fine, if it's against um, the righty, bat him third. Because it, what it means is, at this point, you're just trying, with all these guys injured, you're trying to get your good players the most at-bats possible. So right. put them all, just crowd them towards the top of the order. Give me more at-bats of, of LeMahieu with how he's going right now. That, that's, that's, my, that's the mentality I hope Aaron Boone is taking. Um, but the Red Sox coming in, they're also struggling. Uh, they got off to a really rough start on the West Coast. It's going to be Paxton and Hap for the Yankees, Sale and Evaldi for the Red Sox. Uh, Sale has struggled. He's He was lost at home. Uh, he's been dealing with uh, velocity down. And then in that start, he allowed a steal of home. And 
as a starter, there's nothing more embarrassing than allowing a guy to steal home against you. Yeah, no, it's not good. He's um, and I know the the Red Sox kind of pulled their starters. They didn't throw as much in the spring training. And I think some people are looking at that for their slow start. Who the hell knows? Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. They're they're coming in. I expect them to be better. Um, they're going to play different baseball against the Yankees. It's just what happens. It's going to be long games. They're going to be they're going to be uh, grinders, and the Yankees need to win these games. So um, they need to take advantage of it. And uh, and Evaldi, I swear to God, if he comes in and throws eight innings, uh, you know, two hits, no runs, I'm going to be highly upset. Are you concerned at all with Paxton? So there was a couple news items going around about him. He feels like he's putting too much pressure on himself coming to a new team, new city. He had a talk with his sports psychologist to get him back on track about, you know, figuring out what he's doing wrong. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm still not worried about him. And I know this is all going down a path that sounds very familiar. But let me tell you the very big difference. There's a huge difference here. Uh, this man is identifying problems. He is saying, I have a problem. I'm going to get help from my problem. I am not perfect. My stuff is not good. And I'm going to go talk to my guy. And, and first of all, I think people are putting a lot more on this whole sports psychologist thing than it really is. I think these guys all talk on the regular basis. Uh, this is not a conversation that happens once a year, twice a year, only when things are going bad. I think this is now part of a lot of these professional athletes, their routine. The mental side of the game is a lot is, is part of it, you know, for most people, <laughs> maybe not all, but most. And so that's why I think that, um, this is a good thing. He's identifying, like, maybe I am putting, maybe I'm pressing too hard. Maybe I'm doing this. Maybe I'm doing that. Let's fix it. Let's, let's nip this. Let's nip it in the bud right now and get on top of it because this team needs me and I'm going to do whatever it is that I need to do to get back on my game. And if it means I got to go talk to a shrink and tell you guys that I'm going to talk to a shrink, fine. If I have to go talk to a legend of the game in Carlos Beltran, and he's going to tell me that I've been tipping my pitches, fine. I'm going to go do that because I want to get better, and I don't care how I get better. I take responsibility for my actions. That's the difference. Well, it's just, it's beautiful irony that two things that could potentially have been causing his struggles, one were that he can't handle New York, and he's admitting that, and the second is that he's tipping pitches. Like, two things that totally derailed the Yankees starting pitchers last year. I'm joking about it because I don't think it's a big deal at this point. Like, if he actually was tipping his pitches, like, he seemed like he was tipping his curveball in Houston, and they identified that now, beautiful. Identify it after his third start in the season, not as we're entering October. Exactly. And, you know, I don't even necessarily think it's it's um, not able to handle New York. I think it's a man putting pressure on himself, coming to a new position, understanding what totally. that team is is doing and, and that they're they're, you know, at the caliber to win right now. And then you see all these injuries and he's, you know, the, I have to be the guy, all that stuff. So I think there's there's more. It seems like from what he was saying, more pressure that he's just putting on himself to be more than he needs to be. And whenever you're pressing hard like that, you know, bad things usually happen. So. Let's uh, let's let's relax. Take a step back. You know, think, think of like eagles coming at your head and just just dodge them, man. Deep breath, deep breath. Let's move to mailbags. Okay, uh, if you guys want to submit mailbag questions, go to bronxpinstripes.com/podcast. There's a form there that you can fill out. We also tweet out from at Yankees Podcast a call for mailbags every week. You can just reply to that tweet. Um, those are the two places where we uh, get those mailbags in. First one, Craig Weller at C Weller on Twitter. I think the Houston series is reflective of what a playoff atmosphere will be, and we can't seem to score against good pitching without hitting a home run. Is this a concern, and what can be done about this? 
couple quick stats first. The Houston series, the Yankees were 5 for 19, which is a 263 batting average with runners in scoring position. Uh, and that is against, you know, good pitchers. Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole. Uh, I thought the offense did enough against those guys to win games. So I would not have identified offense as the main reason they got swept in Houston. No, but, uh, you know, Craig makes a point. The the fact that we've seen this, that, that's been the downfall, a big downfall. One of the downfalls of this team is the fact that they can't put together hits, string together at-bats where, you know, they're wearing down a pitcher and, and um, you know, having a rally on the team it's the, all the home run all the scorings come from the home run ball and when you're in the playoffs against good pitching in in a, in a tense atmosphere with a, a playoff you know level crowd you know I don't, I don't know necessarily I think we, we heard a, a playoff level crowd in Houston but you could just you could feel that it was different because there were two you know supposed good teams two supposed good teams going against each other at, that we expect at the end of the season um, so it did feel different it was to me it was like more of a a fun game to watch, but I, I definitely see the concern and yeah, there's a concern, but I think guys like, you know, LeMahieu, the guys that can put the bat on the ball. Like I, I think Glaber is, is making strides in that way that I think they're better. It's really hard to say what they are right now, just because of all of the injuries, but it, theoretically, if we're all, if we're healthy, they're better making contact. And, and I think uh, we're seeing guys who can spray the ball a little bit better than they did last year. Yeah. It's, it, it's really hard to say, how they're going to, because I don't think this is the lineup that we're going to see in September and October. If it is, it better not be, it better not be. Yeah. It can't. So what does the full lineup look like? Um, as far as hitting with runners on base, because I think fully healthy, it's gotta be better than it is right now. Yeah. I mean, and, and you think about DD, if DD's back, like DD is, has some good at bats, makes a lot of contact. Andujar. I don't think we, I don't think we could expect Andujar. I'm not expecting Andujar back. If he comes back, then great. But I, I just, the the labrum thing scares me and and just leads me down a path that there's going to be a lot of strength lost in that shoulder for the short term at least and then it's going to be hard for him to come back at an effective level so i i at this point i'm I'm honestly just like my expectations are extremely low with what we're going to get from him if anything Mm -hmm. um but i think dd is a is a big deal like i do think dd will be back uh and i think he should be healthy um hicks another guy who can come in and 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 put together some good at bat so so yeah i i think we'll be uh we'll be better James Bavello, do you think Judge is going to want to sign here if he doesn't like the way the coaching staff does their job? I've always had a sneaky suspicion that Judge isn't exactly, quote, in love with being a Yankee and would spurn us if uh, when the time came. Got this into the Facebook group. Had to put it in here. Uh, I don't agree with that. Like, I, <laughs> I, I think the Judge does like being a New York Yankee. I think that he is a, a proud guy, and the fact that there is such a – uh, you know, a lineage of of great players in this and, and the and the the history and the tradition of this franchise. I think he eats all of that up, honestly. And I think he does like being the guy because he's able to handle pressure with the best of them. I mean, he just doesn't feel it, and and that's apparent when we've seen him so far. Even in the you know the the postseasons that he's been in, like the guy just locks in. So I don't think there's any issues with him being in New York. And no, I don't think that um, there's there's much of a disconnect. And yes, I do think he would sign here forever. Right. This is the. Um the reaction that was going around after that Thursday night thing where Boone said, we're close to turning the corner and then judge in that very brief clip, you know, kind of <laughs> said turning the corner and made it, made his weird face that he makes when he is, uh, thinks it's maybe a dumb question from reporters or just, that's just his method of answering questions. But then people ran with that said, these guys aren't on the same page. And, you know, I wrote something on the website after that happened and, 
basically said, these are the exact responses I expect from both of those guys. Aaron Boone's going to give you the cliches. We need to turn the corner is Aaron Boone speak for we need to be better. Like that's as, that's as close to like, oh, we're not doing well as you're ever going to get from Aaron Boone. And that's by design. That's why he was hired. Judge, he's, I believe, the leader of this team, even if he says it's Sabathia. And he doesn't like what he sees going on around there. Like he's already said at one point this season, we need to play with more urgency. We need to play backs against the wall, right? That was the t-shirt that we had for Saturday's event, backs against the wall. And that's how Judge is, and that's how Boone is. That's exactly what I expect. Yeah, and I think there was a lot more made of that clip than than there than was really there. It was the the one that got circulated was was definitely cut right at the end when he said, you know, he just kind of repeated it back. But the way the judge answers questions, I mean, he he's he's directly from the Derek Jeter school of how to answer questions as a New York Yankee. He he pauses, he looks around. He'll sometimes repeat the question as a stall tactic and then give you an answer that he fully has already thought about you know, at the, during that time. He will never give you a, a rushed answer back. He takes his sweet time and he answers it. I think there's frustration building there for him. Uh, you know, absolutely, like rightfully so. And when, he, when you hear uh, something like that, he's just making sure that he answers it correctly and not in a way that is, um, you know, sells anybody out or anything like that. He just... I think that answer was very typical to what you see from Judge, honestly. I didn't think it was really anything out of the norm. It's part of the media boot camp that they send these guys through. Take your time yeah. with questions. Don't say anything, really. Just lull the media to sleep, and they will eventually stop asking you questions. I, I seriously think that is their approach when answering questions. They take a they, they very they very much step down. I mean, I've even heard recently Clint Frazier taking his sweet time answering questions thinking about it, then responding. Like the that's, longer that's you just take what they to do. answer a question, the fewer questions they can ask you because they only have so much time with you. <laughs> I'm serious. But there's, also a, there's also a collection of the thoughts before you come out and just say something. Think about what you're going to say. Think, delay it by 15 seconds, then say it because usually it'll come out better. Baseball doesn't have a clock, right? That's the beauty of the game, that the game could go forever, inning after inning after inning. Well, you know what? There is a, there is a clock on time that media has in the clubhouse, and they're in a bleed-the-clock mentality. They are running the ball out when they answer questions. Yeah, so let's, we need to keep cutting the, uh, the clips short so that, they, so that they actually dictate what we want them to hear because all, all it was, oh, yeah. was, was really... It was, it, the clip was cut right at that point, and uh, the one that got circulated, and uh, it, it just it came across differently than I think actually was the case. And if you know Judge, the way that he's answered questions... If you know his personality and the way he does that, like you could see frustration, I think, building in behind it, but there was no animosity or anything like that. It's just how he answers questions. Next question. It's not a question. It's more, uh, it's more of a statement. Or, or who knows? Let me just read it. Brock Leatherman at Leatherman1225. What's your thoughts on Boone wearing a cutoff hoodie and long sleeve combo? From both a professional and overall style, since the Yankees tend to pride themselves on having a traditional mindset in terms of game attire, do you think in June and July months he will take the undershirt off? I personally think it's a terrible look. So, the Boone hatred has gone all the way to what he's wearing in the dugout. Yeah, we're talking about cutoff hoodies. I mean, look, he's, he's just talking about this is a, this is a personal preference question. He, Brock doesn't like the look. I respect that. I don't necessarily love the look. I think it, it looks it looks uh, 
it looks a little sloppy. Maybe it sets a tone for sloppiness, and that's what we're seeing on the field, right? So maybe, maybe if we have um, you know clothing that's not cut off, and and you know you know looking more of uh, whether it's just the full hoodie or or not the hoodie, or maybe you're just going jacket like Girardi style and Joe Torre style. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the full uniform underneath. Like a lot of guys don't do that. They put something on top, mm-hmm. depending on the depending on the uh, the month. The it will you know determine what they're wearing on 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 the over their uniform on top. I don't necessarily love the cutoff look, so kind of agree with Brock in that. Maybe it does set a tone for sloppiness. Girardi, but then when it got warm, Girardi would just go regular uniform. Right, because he's a military And man. he also of wanted to show would. off the massive forearms. He was like, any yes. chance I could take the pythons out, I got to take it. But whenever you, the majority of Tory, uh, there were times where he would take it off as well, but we saw him in a jacket quite often. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, sorry, Brock, but like I, I, there's too many other things to worry about on this team right now. Can't be worrying about cutoff hoodies. Maybe he's trying, I mean, to, be, sl- maybe he's trying to be Bill the, Belichick. Is he trying to be Bill sl- Belichick? It's sloppy, and the, the Yankees are playing sloppy, so now I'm looking at two sloppy things, so let's fix one of them. Bill Belichick looks like a homeless man rolled off the street, and there is no tighter organization than New England Patriots. Okay, but I cannot make that comparison right now. All right. Mike, today I took a straight-up bet uh, on the catcher with the highest war. I took Gary against the field. Am I crazy? Because I sure don't feel like I am. Gary Sanchez just landed on the injured list. Let's leave that aside. So far this season, he's produced half of a Fangraph war, which ranks him third behind Yasmani Grandal and Wilson Contreras. In his last full season, Gary finished second behind Buster Posey in catcher war. I mean, I think it's a pretty good bet. You're, you're looking for a bounce-back season from a guy, and you're looking for a guy who can mash the ball. And if you're looking at what he's done so far this season, he's hit the ball very, very hard. I think he's been a little bit unlucky in certain, uh, certain circumstances. But... I mean, offensively, Gary Sanchez looks like he's he's seen the ball a lot better. We're you know we're seeing him um, not chase that out, that that you know low and away uh, breaking ball as much when he's on the field. Obviously, he's not on the field right now, but he's also making contact with it. So I think there's a lot more bat the ball. He looks a lot more confident. We just need him to be healthy, and I think I think them putting him on the the IL was more of a precautionary tale. And and you know, I don't know how many guys, they, they have to be kind of like, it's such a, a catch 22 at this point, because you have all these guys on the, on that are injured and you need as much firepower as you, as you can right now. But at the same time, you don't need more guys to be hurt long-term. So I think they were being very safe with him and, you know, with this, this strength half put him on there because he has been mashing the ball and he's been making really good contact. So, and I, I think he's been blocking better as well. Mm-hmm. No pass balls so far this season. Austin Romine, two pass balls. Austin Roman has looked bad in, in certain circumstances. And now he's banged games up. Where he's That's bad. why Higgy played the last two days, because Romine was banged up. Yep. So, yeah, it's a, I, I think it's a good bet. All right, I agree. Connor K wants to uh, shed some light on Severino lat strain, which he said, he, I lifted this straight from the MLB site. In baseball. This is like he, he, he took it from like the glossary MLB site. Mm-hmm. Right, just so we're clear on that. It's not like a quote from somebody. It's like the glossary section of it. In baseball, most lat strains are suffered by pitchers and occur at the top end of the muscle near the humerus, which is why they are often difficult to diagnose. They are often initially treated as bicep tendonitis or rotator cuff issue. Because physicians don't always recognize that lat strains can create anterior shoulder soreness due to the attachment at the front end of the shoulder. And Severino is dealing with a grade two strain, which is a moderate strain. Usually just uh, takes rehab between one and two months, which is the timetable we got. I also talked to Hoke, as you guys already heard, 
about uh, what's going on with Severino and why maybe the first MRI didn't catch it. But yeah, if you guys are interested, if you go to the MLB.com glossary, you can search different injuries. And this is a catch-all, right? Because every everyone's different. Every injury is different. But the average, what they're saying is like, this is a catch-all for lat strains. It's not, it might not be exactly what happened to Severino because we don't know exactly what happened to Severino. Well, I, I think the connection here is that there there are sometimes a misdiagnosis in the sense that maybe you see inflammation in, in certain areas and you're focused on the rotator cuff, but it actually came from a, a different part of the body that's connected. So, I mean, that like when you when you hear about like elbow injuries, like a lot of times they start in the forearm and then it, you you end up having an elbow injury. You see that quite often, um, and and maybe because of the inflammation, like an MRI doesn't pick it up as well. Or so yeah, honestly, like all of this sounds like a misdiagnosis. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like they didn't see this the the connection with the lat strain on the the initial MRI and and that it was a uh, and they. They saw it as the rotator cuff because that was um, the area that they, they focused on for the inflammation. But the potentially the inflammation started with the lat. So who the hell knows? It's a different injury. <laughs> it looks it looks bad when you look. I think when you hear the um, what happened and that, that the fact that it is a different injury and you're like, well, what happened? Well, maybe nothing happened. Maybe they just didn't see the inflammation in the lat at the, at the, at the initial time of the MRI. Who knows? But it seems like they're being very hush-hush about it. If the first, if the if the lat was originally the issue, um, and it wasn't the shoulder, well, then why, when he was shut down for the four weeks, did the lat strain not get any better? Well, I, I think the um, he was on a he was supposed to be resting, right? So mm-hmm. maybe when the inflammation went down, they could see things more clearly, and they identified that it didn't come from um, the shoulder. So now they need to like step back and just make sure that you're, the lat you're is good. Literally making that up. I mean, isn't that what this whole segment is? Aren't we making shit up? Okay. <laughs> but like, who the hell, but what I'm saying is, I'm, I'm using common sense here to talk about like what I would, what I would think. So he's been resting and, and unless there was another injury, unless he did something that was, that was not to the prescription of resting and the injury happened by doing something, then you're looking at the same body and you're looking at an MRI now that is showing a potential more inflammation in the problem area, whereas the shoulder went down because that wasn't the actual cause of concern, but it was the lat. So you would think that there would, the inflammation would be greater in that point. This is just common sense here. This is what I'm just, I'm deducting. <clears throat> common sense from Dr. Reinen. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife is actually studying to be a doctor right now. Okay. So well, then maybe. Makes me, that makes me Mr. Dr. Reinen. I'm not, I mean, it's for early childhood education, but <laughs> that's, you know. That's neither here nor there. Can she come on the podcast and explain <laughs> soft tissue injuries to us after she gets her yeah. doctorate? Perfect. Dr. Reinen will be on the, sh- the show. Love it. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Uh, Boston series, couple two games against Boston um, coming up. <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll write the ship against their rival. Who the hell knows at this point? Uh, like you were making stuff up in the medical segment of this show. I'm making stuff up on the fly. Just trying to talk myself into this team turning it around. I like it. Look, that's it makes a lot of sense, right? Let's uh, let's see the Boston Red Sox ahead of us, uh, the the other team, and and kick their ass. Let's start playing good baseball, like we saw on Saturday. Saturday was a good day. We have can we do more of that, please. All right, we'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Don't forget Wednesday. Go check out George's box. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show. We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. 
We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.